So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey everyone, so great to have you here today. I'm bouncing around in my chair. I'm really excited about unpacking with you today, really in very concrete terms, how, you know, the difference between traditional and alternative can have a massive impact on your financial freedom and your financial aspirations. I think in a lot of podcasts that I've recorded up until now, I've really, you know, talked concepts. How does it work? Why does it work? What are the points of friction? Why is it so impactful? I actually want to pull it apart with a couple of case studies to give you a better understanding of physically or in the real world how this stuff works and why it is so powerful. You know, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, you know, I'm an advocate for investing full stop. I love all forms of investing. I've certainly dabbled in, you know, as many types of investments over the last 25 years, 30 years as I could possibly get my hands on. I've done share trading. I have options traded, futures traded. I have been an advocate for all styles of research and due diligence, property investing and, you know, everything around property investing, syndications, uh, developments, stratering, buy and hold, all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, I definitely see myself as a student of life when it comes to investing. But ultimately, what I feel I've learned over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years is that without alternative investments, the results that I would have achieved would have been mediocre at best. And the reason for that is that predominantly in the world we live in right now, finding opportunities opportunities that deliver that strong predictable cash flow is really, really hard. And what alternative does is it solves that problem. It is a section of the market where you can find investments which deliver strong predictable cash flow, often thought of as pretty boring bread and butter investments. But what I love about them is that they have a very relatively low risk profile. They're much more immune to volatility. The asset class itself is very stable. You don't get the ups and downs that you get in a lot of those other market sectors. But above all else, it's very much a private playground. And, you know, for those of you who know me, understand when I talk about alternative, really, I'm only talking about alternative investments, creative strategies, which are backed by real property. Because as we all know, property is a also a very stable asset class. So, that's kind of like the quick overview I wanted to give you in the context of what alternative means. And I really want to kind of un- help you understand that, you know, alternative, the reason I even use that language, someone said to me the other day, which I thought was fantastic, you know, you really shouldn't call these alternative investments because it conjures up all sorts of scary concepts and ideas. And uh, I understand that. But the real truth of the matter is that alternative investments, the reason that I call it that, the reason that people in my world call them alternative is they sit outside of mainstream. It's very hard to get access to great deals in this space. It's very hard to learn about the 
this in a way that is safe and structured. And so for me, alternative is a good fit. And although I do understand it does conjure up all sorts of uh, concerns, for people who understand and know this asset class well, they kind of giggled all the way to the bank because they realized that um, the fact that it is shrouded in secrecy is probably a plus from the viewpoint of continuing to access great deals that most people just don't even know about. So where I want to kind of go deep today is on this idea of if you had, and I'm going to call it a million dollars, I was going to say half a million, but I think it's just a nice round number. If you had a million dollars in traditional versus alternative investing, where would that lead you? And what potential outcomes in terms of passive income and growth could you expect? Now, generally speaking, even within the alternative investing space, there are kind of almost three kinds of deals. There are those deals which are you predominantly go into it because you want the cash flow. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got deals that you want to go into because they're growth-based. And in the middle, you have hybrid, meaning you get a little bit of income and a little bit of growth. And it's kind of like, I guess, the place that most investors like to dabble because it gives you a little bit of a bit of joy at the end of the deal, a bit of profit, but you're also getting that, you know, regular income throughout the deal. So, you know, given that there are those three types of kind of ways of looking at what your objective might be with a particular strategy, I think it's really important to point out that the main reason that people go into alternative is because they're looking for the cash flow. So, for the purpose of what I want to kind of unpack with you today, I think let's assume that people are going into the deal predominantly for just the income and we won't worry about the growth or the other part of it. So, I have a spreadsheet here which I think could be really useful as a a starting point but what I actually want to do is kind of describe it to you rather than show it to you because obviously many of you are listening to this in uh, audio form but I have a a couple that I want to talk about. Now, this couple just for the sake of uh, the illustration, I won't give them names but let's talk about their scenario. They are earning $400,000 as a household income, which is a pretty decent income. They need about $250,000 to live. They already love property as an asset class. So, they have a property portfolio that's already has a net worth of about $2.5 million. They have $1 million in cash reserves that they've been setting aside. They are reinvesting or happy to reinvest their capital in alternative till their goal is met. I'm also assuming that the portfolio that they have grows at a modest 5% average capital growth, that they're the ones choosing the strategy and that the property portfolio that they have is actually giving them no cash flow at all. It's, it's, it's cash flow neutral. The real question is like, what are their options? You know, they understand alternative, they're open to it. But, you know, as I've talked about many times in my experience, I think the best way for you as an investor to make informed decisions about what you would like to do with your capital comes down to whether you understand your options. Just as an aside, I had a fabulous conversation with one of my newest clients this week and it was really interesting because he was going down the path of trying to be a developer as a means to generate reasonable profits over and above uh, what he could expect with a traditional buy and hold. And we went through the numbers and essentially the profit based on developing the asset versus not developing the asset was a negligible difference. And so, the question then arose, well, why do the deal? Why do the deal at all? And and the answer was that, you know, he didn't 
have any other options. So, you know, what alternative investments really do is they open up your world to a whole series of options that you may have never even considered before. And so, in this case, this particular couple, they are aware of alternative and they want to understand why alternative or how alternative could alter their, you know, timeline to hitting their financial goals. So, it's really, really important that rather than being prescriptive with advice and saying, you know, you should put your money here, here and here, that what we do instead is we kind of play with numbers, use numbers to create an illustration of what is possible. Because I think when you can understand what is possible, then, you know, you, you don't necessarily need someone standing over your shoulder saying you should do this. You start to, you know, the numbers tell a story, provided your assumptions are reasonable, you can actually get a relatively clear understanding of, you know, from a financial point of view, I guess the ends of the spectrums look like. And then obviously your decision as to what you can do can lay anywhere along that spectrum. So, in this case, and I'm going to go right to the top of the spreadsheet here, I'm going to assume that they're 50 years old. Both of them are 50 years old. They're already investors in property, as I said, and they don't necessarily want to mess around with the assets that they already have in place. They are in a situation where they've worked very hard to put their property portfolio in place. It's worth a solid two and a half mil, and they like the idea of holding that property portfolio to kind of have as a safety net down the track. As that property portfolio grows, they'll be able to, you know, have that capital in the future if, if and when they need it. They're also kind of already realizing after having had this property portfolio for a period of time, it's not really setting the world on fire as far as generating cash flow. And so, they're really looking down the track of, well, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, where will we be? If we adopt some alternative investments, where will we be? If we use the million dollars in capital that we have to reduce debt, where will we be? So, I think, you know, really the scenarios that I'm about to describe are kind of exploring those as different scenarios. So, scenario one for these guys is keep the $1 million as a cash buffer, as a cash reserve. Now, especially given the current climate, there is some big stuff happening in the world. So, it's understandable that there are a lot of people wanting to stockpile cash right now. We're heading into high inflation. There's a lot of uncertainty in the markets. There's, you know, we're sitting on the cusp of some pretty potentially big interest rate rises and the ripple effects from COVID in many industries are just starting to rise to the surface. So, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it could be understandable that you want to keep really good cash reserves from a sleep at night perspective, in spite of the fact that you're aware that things like inflation is going to be eroding that cash. But let's assume in scenario one, they decide they just want to sit on the million dollars cash as emergency buffer just in case everything turns to custard. So, they're going to keep their properties in place. They're going to generate a 2%, we're going to assume a 2% net income stream from properties. So, right now, we said close to neutral, but let's assume that on the two and a half mil, optimistically, let's assume they're getting $50,000 in an income stream. And then when we kind of roll those numbers forward, meaning the property values grow at 5%, the loan stays the same, they don't pay down the loan, and the income stream grows each year with the value of the property. What we can see 
is if they said, well, look, for us to reach game over, we really need to have our living expenses of 250000 covered, then if we extrapolate those numbers, essentially they will get to game over in about year 24. So 24 years from now, their property portfolio, if it's indexed at 5% each year, will have a net value of about $12.8 million. They'll still have that loan of two and a half. Um, so if they assume that there's no debt reduction, they allow their property portfolio to just continue to grow at 2% net return, which as I said before, I think that's optimistic. I think the average lies closer to one and a half to two and a half. So maybe 2% is if you've bought well, could be reasonable, but that's going to generate an income stream in somewhere between the 23rd and 24th year of around the 242 to the 257 mark. So certainly if anyone's interested, by the way, in getting a snapshot of this, please reach out or I'll see if I can put a link in the show notes. But essentially game over by, you know, by my definition in this illustration is really when can they categorically say we have an income stream in place that more than covers our, in, you know, our living expenses. So game over in this case is year 24. We'll call it year 24 because it's 257 in that year. Now let's look at the second scenario, which is they use that million dollars to pay off debt. And this is certainly a, another perfectly valid strategy. The most conservative investors that I've met use debt reduction as the primary way to grow their wealth, meaning they pay down debt, they free up or create more equity. And the, the hope is that over time, they're not only de-risking their portfolio, but they're creating an asset base that will grow. In my experience, if you have the luxury of high income, that's a perfectly valid strategy. For those people and for those of us who maybe never had a great income, Income, paying off debt as your primary and only strategy is one of the slowest ways to build wealth. And, you know, I'm not sort of expressing uh, any advice here that you should be going to the other extreme. I mean, I certainly, when I started out, I really, you know, hustled and redlined my finances in order to get some traction because I never had a great income. But certainly that kind of behavior doesn't suit everyone. So again, everything boils down to your sleep at night factor. And I can tell you, in the early days, I lost a lot of sleep. I kind of did things that probably would be very uncomfortable for most people. So, I'm certainly not advocating that. And I realized with the benefit of hindsight, I probably didn't need to redline and hustle as much as I did. You know, some of those decisions paid off, some of them didn't. But I guess that, you know, I'm kind of, I'm bringing this up because I think there's a lot of wealth professionals that strongly advocate paying off debt first before growing your wealth through new investments. And I think if you regard it as a bit of a spectrum, the truth probably lies somewhere in between those two ends. So let's imagine, let's going back, sorry, I'm digressing here into all sorts of different wormholes, but in scenario two, let's assume we're looking at this idea of this couple taking their million dollars and using it to pay off the debt. And so what happens is they've got properties worth 5 million. They've got a loan of two and a half million. They're going to pay off a million dollars off that loan. So their net worth is going to rise in their property space to three and a half million. Now, obviously in having paid off a million dollars worth of debt, they're able to increase the passive income, still assuming a 2% net return from 50,000 to 70,000 a year. Now, if we fast forward, 
forward that scenario and say, okay, well, great. They've actually paid off their debt. Surely that has an impact on them hitting their game over or their required passive income sooner. And the answer is yes, but only marginally so, surprisingly. So, assuming all the same things, your property portfolio grows at 5%, the loan remains at one and a half for those for that period of time, then you will in fact shave an extra two years off your timeline and hit game over in the 22nd year. So, you know, you've gone from 24 years down to 22 years. So, again, these are very gross calculations and very simplistic. And for those of you who are telling me that the world is more complex, I totally get it. But, you know, really what I'm trying to point out here is I'm trying to give you a flavor of what is possible rather than, you know, being really detailed about the way that we map these numbers out. So, that's scenario one and two. Scenario one, keep your million dollars in cash reserves and just let the property portfolio roll. You get there in 24 years. Scenario two, pay down some debt now with the hopes that you speed it up, you shave two years off your timeline. Now let's go with scenario three. So scenario three is a pretty exciting scenario from my perspective. Let's assume that you want to keep your property portfolio in place. You're happy to let it tick along in the background. You certainly, in their case, you don't need to free up any capital because you've got the million dollars there and you're going to use the million dollars and you're going to split it into two buckets, 500,000 and 500,000. You're going to put 500,000 into alternative investments, meaning that 500,000 might be broken into anywhere from eight to 12 deals, all earning you, let's say, a, a rate of return of, what am I assuming here? 11% or 12%, 12% return, net return, which, you know, for those of you who understand and have listened to some of my other podcast episodes, typically from a cash flow perspective, you know, we're aiming for a net return after expenses of 8 to 12% just on the cash flow side. That's ignoring any growth. So, if we assume 12% and in the second year, you take your second, you know, balance of 500,000, again, you break that up. So, effectively, what I would be advocating, regardless of the amount of money that you have, is that you don't drop it into, you know, all of these different deals in one go, but you just do it piecemeal. What that allows you to do is gradually build your confidence and make sensible decisions like bed in one investment, then the next, then the next, then the next. So, you're, you're really kind of consistently accumulating your portfolio over a couple of years. So, at the end of the second year, you've got your million dollars deployed in alternative. Now, according to the very simple calculations that I've prepared here, what happens to your regular property portfolio is, you know, at the end of each year, it grows 5%, same as before. Now, what's really interesting is because you've invested in these assets that throw off, you know, this really predictable cash flow that we're looking for by the end of year five. And I'm even going to say it's probably closer to the end of year four, you have reached your 250000 in required passive income. So, at the end of year five, your local property portfolio here, we're all the same assumptions that we had before, might be throwing off about 71000 in income. By the end of that same year, your alternative investments will be uh, throwing off something around the 200 mark. So, the combined passive income from your Australian property portfolio and your alternative is about that 271000 So, I guess the, the emphasis that I want to have here is that we are now contrasting three very distinct scenarios. So, when we just let our property portfolio run and we sat on our cash, we didn't do anything with it, we got to where we wanted to be in about 24 years. When we used the million dollars to pay off our 
debt. We got there in 22 years. And if we decided to embrace alternative and gradually deploy that capital over a couple of years, we get to game over in I'm going to say between four and five years. So why I think this is such a powerful illustration, and again, this is only intended to give you a flavor of what's possible, is that scenario three gets you to your goal 4.8 times faster than the other two scenarios. And that is not insignificant. Now, the real question is, would you put a million dollars into alternative? And that's a question that we can probably, you know, answer in another podcast episode. But, you know, I'm kind of really advocating that you don't have to have all of your assets in one asset class or another. I think there's too many people out there saying that there's one way to build wealth. And what I'm arguing is there's many ways to build wealth. But Without a doubt, there are very few asset classes that I know of outside of alternative that are stable, that have a as low a risk profile, and that will build you a pipeline of passive income that you can bank on in the same way. So, you know, regardless of whether we played with some of the variables today, there's no question that if you incorporate a small percentage of your portfolio into this asset class, you will reach your financial goals significantly faster than if you try to allow just straight compounding, which is awesome, by the way, for building wealth through traditional means, whether that's property or shares or you know bonds, whatever else. But you won't get where you want to go anytime soon. And I'm becoming a stronger and stronger voice advocating for building financial freedom while you're still young enough to enjoy it. So, I guess that's kind of like where I, I wanted to leave it today. I know that there was a lot of numbers in here, so I'm not sure if I've gone too fast or too slow, but I really wanted to give you a flavor of the potential outcomes in terms of passive income. Obviously, if you then decided to go for those hybrid deals or, you know, add in some growth deals, you know, your net worth could be significantly higher as well. But as I said, for the purpose of today's exercise, really what I wanted to show you was there's a way of using alternative investments if you have cash, which means that you don't necessarily need to liquidate or sell what you already have. If you're in the fortunate position of having access to equity, you can use equity and again, keep your property portfolio in place. But the idea is how do you have your cake and eat it too? I've talked about this many times before that if you get the right thinking, if you associate with the right people, if you immerse yourself in the right networks, you can actually not only massively impact your timeline to financial freedom, but you can do it in a way where you don't have to make big compromises or take hair raising risks. And that's really the game that that I'm advocating and that I'm trying to play. So anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. I really, really appreciate you tuning in and uh, look forward to catching up with you next time. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.